Hello, my name is Janice B. Gordon. This is Scale Your Sales Podcast. Welcome to the Scale Your Sales Podcast, listed number nine of 42 best podcasts for every sales professional in 2021. I am Janice B. Gordon, the customer growth expert, recommended by LinkedIn as one of 15 innovative sales influencers to follow in 2021. In today's episode, my guest talks about personal profile as a key asset to growing your business or growing your relationships with your customers or even attracting customers to you and how critically important this is. He is the founder of the key person of influence method which takes you through five key steps in order to build your business and and build your brand as founder of dent global and score app my next guest is entrepreneur of the year 2022 and four times best-selling author he is a leading authority in scaling businesses his reputation and extensive experience with his own companies has seen him advising for inc 500 leaders and unicorn entrepreneurs as well as appearing regularly in the media Welcome to Scale Your Sales podcast, Daniel Priestley. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. It's been an absolute pleasure. I've known you for years and years with a key person of influence method that you introduced and launched into the UK and the great events that you did there. So the method is perfect pitch, publish, product ecosystem, racial profile and partnership and something that we can all learn from. There's something I'd like to ask you about how your company Dent has adapted in the post-pandemic era. What you said is that we're spending much less time looking backwards that we're now in a better position. So can you explain more about that? Because I think it will help other organizations that are listening here. Yeah, so for us, it was a shock like it was for every business out there that suddenly the economy was in lockdown. No one had ever heard the word lockdown before. Um, No, I had no idea what the word furlough meant. Um, So all of these things were brand new. Going into the pandemic, we used to run physical events every single week, multiple events every week. So setting up venues and banners and seats and croissant and coffee, all of those things. And then next thing you know, it's like, no, we can't do any of those things anymore. Um, So we had to make some quick changes. We instantaneously put everyone on furlough that we could that was eligible and um, we brought people back one by one as we as we thought we needed them we just didn't know how things were going to pan out so we just kind of said let's start with a wholesale action so that it's fair on every single person and uh, we we very rapidly moved online and we discovered that people were actually very comfortable online We went from running full day workshops, which if you're going to get people to come to London and and attend an event, you better, you know, run a full day workshop. We discovered that a format of about two and a half hour workshops is really uh, what people much prefer because they get, you know, an idea, a strategy, then they go away and implement, and then they come back 
So rather than doing one full day workshop with a client per month, we'd do two, two and a half hour workshops on Zoom. Suddenly we're getting better results with our clients. You know, they could, you know, they weren't getting overwhelmed. They weren't feeling, you know, full uh, mentally. Um, and, uh, and we loved it. We loved seeing how much better that worked. Our team loved it. And we were able to strip out costs that had no impact on clients. So things like our own personal offices, um, you know, which are very expensive, we just didn't need those anymore. And that goes straight back into um, uh, our budgets, which we then hired a team of coaches to do one-to-one -one coaching or small group coaching uh, on our program. So the money that we were spending on venues and offices um, and event managers, we actually moved that across to coaches, trainers, um, you know, more, uh, more resources for the actual customer-facing uh, impact stuff. The social element, we found great ways to just do the social element on its own. So uh, people love to you know, connect with each other. So we found ways to, uh, to get them connected. Um, during the you know, lockdowns, we got them connected online, but now we're actually running social events near Liverpool Street um, with our clients where it's the whole purpose is just you know, turn up and network and connect. So, um, so essentially we've moved into a very different business, a business we're more happy with a more profitable business, a more successful business for the clients. And, uh, and, and it looks different, very different to what it looked like in 2019, which is a great thing. Other big change is we went from a city model to a time zone model. So rather than thinking about our business as London, Birmingham, Manchester, Singapore, Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, Tampa, Florida, Toronto, we just now think about the business as Umea, Asia Pacific, and Americas. Uh, so three time zones, we've basically uh, got our team organized time zone teams and away we go. Well, that's quite a radical uh, change. And it's interesting that you say that, you know, we're looking forward that everything's in a better position with the business. So I would imagine for the, the, the companies that you support in their growth aspirations, that there's, the lesson here is out of adversity can come real opportunities. Yeah, yeah. What choice do you have, right? So you, you get uh, you get thrown a curveball. You either step up to the plate and hit it, or um, uh, I don't know why I'm using a baseball metaphor. I don't even <laughs> understand baseball, so I don't even know what a curveball is. But it sounds like one of those things. But you you either step up to the plate and hit it, or uh, or you strike out. Apparently, not that I would know. All right. So, you know, for, for B2B sellers, there are now barriers that have been removed and lifted uh, away. So it's quite difficult for B2B buyers to be buyer-centric and, and customer-centric with the digital world evolving. So tell mm. me more about that. We've gone from a world that's very much based on geography to a world that's digital and what that does is it puts uh, us in competition with all of our, com uh, our competitors globally. It also puts us in competition with every single message that somebody wants to put into somebody's ears. Uh, so we find ourselves in this strange situation of trying to get cut through in an incredibly noisy market. Uh, in markets where there's geographical limitations, what we see is what's called a standard bell curve distribution, where businesses tend to fall into this bell curve. As soon as uh, the barriers are lifted and you go into uh, digital, you end up with what's called a power law distribution, which is known as the 80-20 law or the Pareto law, which means a small number earn all the money 
And there's a very long tail of people not making very much money at all. And that's because a small number of people are able to get cut through with their message and most people are lost in the noise. So it's incredibly difficult. And unfortunately, uh, every industry right now is going from the bell curve distribution to the power law distribution, the Pareto distribution. And you've got to be really, the, I mean, the rewards have never been greater if you get it right. And the punishment has never been worse if you're average. So what would you say to companies? How do they find that sweet spot, that 20% that really cuts through the noise? Because there is so much out there and we're encouraged to put so much more content in. What are the key things that companies need to do to kind of hit that mark? Two things. The first one is the personal branding. So we want to connect with people who appear to have a good personal brand online. So for example, when we're going to have a meeting with somebody, we typically have a look at their LinkedIn profile. We might have a look at their Twitter account. We might Google their name, see what comes up. So that first test, I, I always use this phraseology of you are who Google says you are. So, you know, if I Google you and, you know, it says that you're a uh, amateur polo player in, you know, Florida, it's like, oh, okay, that's confusing. I didn't realize, you know. So uh, we, we go on Google and we have a look and either we're going to be confused or we're going to see nothing and we're going to be disappointed um, or we're going to see a really good profile where I can say, oh, wow, you've worked on a project with, you know, this great brand and you've done this thing and you won this award and, you know, there's some, there's some credibility there. I can see that you're active and that you're positive. Um, you know, I might look at a Twitter account. In fact, this has happened. I've looked at Twitter accounts where people have been like, really uh, negative online and they're complaining about things and all this sort of thing and I think to myself oh okay I'm not sure this uh, this, this is going to be a positive meeting um, so that first one is about personal brand passing the google test uh, and just having good quality assets that communicate your personal brand and I think that's more important than the company brand at the moment so you know you might have these big letters you know PwC or KPMG or something like that behind you but ultimately people meet with people. And if I you know, meet with a person who looks positive online and looks like a good personal brand online, then I'm excited for the meeting. So that's part one. The second part is the uh, collection of data and personalization. So essentially when we meet with people now, if they can in any way demonstrate that they have collected data and personalized their approach, the impact of that is much higher conversions. So um, if we talk to people as a general homogenous group of people out there in the market, and it's like, oh yeah, all of you in the market who have exactly the same needs and wants and tastes and desires, if we're talking to a market like that, then we basically don't resonate with anyone. If we're trying to please everyone, we, we resonate with no one. Uh, if we can in some way talk to an individual and say, uh, hey, Billy, I looked at your um, Twitter account and I saw that you're interested in such and such. I'd love to connect because we can actually help you with that. Um, or you filled in one of our online surveys or you filled in one of our online scorecards and I saw that you scored a 42%, but that's under indexing based on where you want to be. You want to be over a 70%. Can we talk about how to get you from a 42 to a 72? Um, and those kind of ways of conversing with people, whether it be digitally or you know, in a meeting, they create massive amounts of cut through. So essentially, if you combine two things, if you combine personal brand with the ability to collect data and personalize your message, 
you're, you know, you're really in for a home run. By the way, Janice, I just did another baseball thing. I said a home run. What is going on with my, I'm not the even American. Universe, the universe is telling you something. I'm not sure what it is, but maybe by the end of this interview, we'll work I, it out. I must have America on my brain or something that I'm using these baseball metaphors. You're <laughs> so working in so many different time zones. <laughs> I'm stuck in the America's time zone. <laughs> Talking about personalization, when someone listens to this, they may actually send you the key things you need to know about baseball. About baseball. <laughs> yeah. How to translate baseball metaphors to cricket, if you're on the internet. <laughs> so I was going to... Actually, there's a lot of sales leaders that struggle with personal branding. Um, they get it, but actually, how do they transfer that? They think social media, it's time consuming. I'm not going to get any payback from this. So it's best that I don't do it. So they're really kind of teetering around the edges and not kind of throwing themselves into really investing in, in their personal brand. It's something that's quite foreign to them. They can't see the end result. What would you say to them? I'd say that's great. Makes it easier for the rest of us. <laughs> stay, stay, stay on the, on the sidelines, be quiet and, and uh, let the rest of us get on with doing all this business. Um, I'm being cheeky, of course, uh, you know, the, the idea here is that I used to hear the same sort of sen sentiment when it came to networking. People would say, oh, I don't understand networking. And then you go out networking, especially if it's good quality networking, and suddenly you realize, oh, wow, this, this pays the bills. You know, this is the thing that, that uh, gets the most cut through and the most deals coming through. You know, essentially, especially if you're B2B, the, the, you know, all the networking is now happening on Twitter and LinkedIn and all of those places. And even, you know, Instagram is incredible networking. And those little side conversations that happen in the direct messages are that kind of like, you know, there's the main networking hall uh, of the, the platform and then there's you know having direct messages with people and, and you know being able to target your uh, conversation based on what you see see and learn about people there's a few different levels to having a personal brand I think the basic one that everyone probably can agree on is that you should you should pass the google test if someone googles you uh, you should um, you should look like a you know good quality person to to meet um, and there shouldn't be anything that detracts uh, from there. So you want to avoid, you know, like things like not having a profile picture uh, where people can't, you know, sort of see who you are or not having any real um, content or information, you know, that just doesn't give people the information they need in order to connect with you um, online. So that would be kind of the basic level. And then, you know, as you move up the levels, you want to add followers, you want to have at least a thousand to 10,000 followers on your, on your main channels, then producing content, posting some content, making sure that people can connect with your ideas and doing some thought leadership content, um, you know, getting the follower count up even higher. Uh, and, you know, some of those, so essentially we want to move, move up those levels. Once we get to the top levels, we're sharing platforms. So we, you know, we're connecting with people who also have a big, big audience, big platform, and we're actually, you know, joint venturing, partnering, um, and uh, multiplying our, our networks and, and basically creating opportunities for other people who've also got a great uh, network of people. So ideally, you know, you can pick your level. You can say, okay, I'm happy with the base level of just passing the Google test, or you can say, you know what, I want to really uh, go all the way here. I want to... Um, 
uh, you know, get to the point where I can do joint ventures and partnerships and I can be on other people's platforms and I can have a platform that other people want to join me on and go right to the top level. You're the mega key person of, of influence. So how do you manage your team, I would imagine, continue to manage your own key profile on, on your networks? What's, what's the kind of shortcut method that you use? Uh, so I do have an amazing team, um, and also I'm quite I'm quite passionate in the sense that I I uh, use the tools. So for example, I am producing content. There's time in my diary where I prioritize writing an article or um, scheduling you know 20 or 30 tweets uh, to go out or those sorts of things. There's uh, there is just time that I put into you know, doing that kind of work. About every year or two, I you know rebook a session with a photographer and do updated headshots. Um, and, um, you know, and, and all of those sorts of things. I treat personal brand as an asset. Uh, and if I owned a, you know, a million pound house, uh, I would want to make sure that it's, you know, kept well and that, you know, everything's functioning and that if something breaks, that it's very rapidly fixed. Because once you see it as an asset, then you really make sure that it's a, a well-kept asset. So for me personally, as you know, for me, I have it in my mind that I'm definitely producing an asset, growing an asset, protecting an asset. And that kind of then spawns all the other behaviors of having assistants and having people who, who help. The, the unfortunate thing is when someone's just looking to tick a box and it's like, oh, I need to tick a box. So I'm just going to get a junior assistant to tweet some random stuff. And it's, that's never going to work, right? There's no, there's no thought behind it. There's no energy behind it. There's no um care and attention and clearly that behavior comes from not really seeing profile as an asset um, so the first step is to if you, if you have any doubts whatsoever that having personal brand is an asset then the first step is rectify that you know you need to go and do some homework and realize that this is one of the greatest assets that you have and it's one of the assets that all the millionaires and billionaires <laughs> across the world talk about you know warren buffett who invests in you know, companies says that his brand and his reputation is his greatest asset. Uh, you know, it's not the Apple shares. Everything comes from, uh, from, from his brand and reputation. And I've seen you grow up on social media, bid on, bid off, you know, and, and mature. And it's interesting to actually track people, that kind of legacy that you're leaving behind and longevity in the investment. I mean, it's building on, one year after another after another you know you want to see that footprint that they've been around and there's a there's a, a history to the messaging that as it evolves and change and we grow in maturity yeah that's a really important point because some people jump around a little too much they don't take people on a journey with them uh so for example you know i've got this company dent which most people know me for and the key person of influence but during the pandemic we launched a new business called score app and I had to make sure that people understood why I was going on that journey, why essentially, you know, we had the training and development on key person of influence and the accelerator programs. Uh, but we also had developed a, a software tool that would help people and that it was completely aligned with my broader vision of developing entrepreneurs who stand out, scale up and make a positive impact in the world. And it was just one of the tools that I was bringing to the party for that central idea, that central mission of developing entrepreneurs to stand out, scale up, make a positive impact. Uh, and 
you know, I was conscious of the fact that a lot of people would probably go, oh, wait a second, what, you know, have you stopped then? Are you stopping doing those things? Like, what's what's the story? You're doing something different. Um, so I was conscious to try and make sure that the people who'd known me for a long time understood the, the evolution of the thinking and I could do uh, what's called a pivot, uh, where you're essentially, you know, pivoting something from, you know, from your existing thing, you're actually adding something uh, that, that supports that. But people understand that this isn't a deviation. This is just a continuation of a, of a broader message. And actually, you're living your own product, key person of influence and productizing your ecosystem. This is part of the same thing, but it's just, you know, one aspect of, of the same thing. Yeah, exactly. Right. And that's that's it. I've, I've laid the foundations of letting people know you should have a product ecosystem around you. So explain more about the online quiz, um, the influence scorecard and what I don't quite understand is the score app. Is the one part of the other? Did the one come first and how did yeah. it all evolve? I'll tell you how it evolved. Uh, I, when I was single and a childless bachelor, I used to travel around the world uh, speaking at conferences. And that was the best way for a bachelor with no kids to do business, right? Because, you know, you're on planes and you go into hotels and speaking at conferences and that was fabulous at that phase of life. But once I met my wife and we started a family, there was no way I could live like that. So around 2014, 15, we developed something called the Key Person of Influence Scorecard, an online quiz that people could take where they would discover their uh, Key Person of Influence score and they would get a personalized report as to how they could improve their influence. Um, so people would answer 40 questions uh, and then that would produce a PDF report that gave custom recommendations to people. And people loved this. About 80 to 90,000 people took the scorecard and tens of millions of dollars worth of sales came in off the back of it. Uh, and our sales team absolutely loved this because when someone fills in 40 questions, we can really see, oh, wow, this person's got a really strong pitch. They've got a great published, con published content. They're uh, lacking in products. They're lacking in um, profile and they're not doing joint ventures and partnerships. So we can zero in and say, you know, your pitch is strong and your published content is strong. We need one or two more products here. We need to get some other people promoting those products. So within about three minutes of conversation, we're able to customize and tailor our approach and our, our presentation to them and really connect with the thing that they need most. Now contrast that. If I was speaking at a conference and someone gave a business card uh, and said, I'd love to connect or something like that, I give that to my sales team. Uh, and then the sales team ring them and they have a conversation that goes like this. Tell us a bit about yourself. T tell me, tell me, you know, all I've got is your business card. Tell me, you know, what do you do? How do you do it? Who, who do you? So there's like 30 or 40 questions that people <laughs> get asked that add no value to them. And they get sick of that real fast. And they say, look, you know, I'm busy. I don't have time to talk right now, so um, let's make another time to talk. So salespeople hate it and prospects hate it. When someone's filled in the scorecard, you jump straight to the good bit. So here, based on how you answered, here's what I think we should talk about. And people love that. It's like, oh, cool. This is, this is you know, very personalized. So in 2019, uh, some of my clients said, can I get one of those scorecard things? Can you help me with that? And we started doing them for about 10 different companies and we're sort of just checking it out and sort of playing with the idea of taking what we'd learned from that process and putting it into some other businesses. And it just worked 
across the whole 10 companies we work with, all of them got a similar result where they got thousands of people filling in scorecards. One got 100,000 plus people. You know, uh, one of our clients uh, won a huge corporate contract off the back of a, a scorecard. Um, so they didn't get a high volume, but they got the right people filling in the scorecard and it led to a big, big piece of work. Um, so then we realized we could build a platform to allow thousands or tens of thousands of small businesses to have a scorecard. Uh, so we now have uh, currently uh, 2,000 companies using ScoreApp. ScoreApp is the platform, like Instagram is a platform to put in photos. ScoreApp is a platform for putting online scorecards, assessments, quizzes, tests. Um, and the scorecard is a little bit different to a survey. Some people hear scorecard and they think it's like a survey. So a survey is I ask you lots of questions and then at the end I say, thank you. Thanks for doing that. <laughs> we'll get back to you. Um, a scorecard is a bit different. It basically asks lots of questions and then immediately gives people value. So it gives them a result. It gives them custom recommendations. So think about something like, are you ready to run the London Marathon? Uh, and you ask a series of questions. And then at the end, it says you're 42% ready. And here's why you scored high for having all the equipment and the kit. You scored low for weekly training routines. Um, you scored low for uh, having a training partner. These are the recommendations that we think you should do to, to run the successful London Marathon, something like that. And all of that data is then in the engine and produces a report. And, uh, and it happens immediately for the, for the person doing it. So that's how a scorecard is different to a survey. So, uh, essentially, what's wild is everyone's like getting the best quality leads their business has ever seen. Uh, B2B leads, B2C leads, like whatever they've launched. Uh, the, the consistent feedback that we get is this is the best quality lead generation we've ever had. Uh, so it's lovely to see that. It's, it's wonderful. I saw you do um, a presentation um, uh, on this and, and, you know, so easy uh, to use. So you have different levels where you have, uh, I think, subscription based, do it yourself or talk to me about the different levels. Oh, so, so we wanted to make it really cheap uh, because um, when we built ours, it was uh, about eight to 12,000 pounds all in to build something that produced those PDF reports and all of that sort of stuff. And it was a lot of effort to write the questions and come up with the scoring logic and all of that sort of stuff. And then when we worked with those clients, um, we were still charging eight to 12,000 per client to, to set them up and get them, get them built. Uh, so what we wanted to do is template it so that you essentially edit a template and then we just wanted to make it super affordable. So for small businesses that don't need many leads to be very successful, £29 a month. Uh, for bigger businesses, £89 a month. Um, but those are businesses that generate thousands of leads. And then for agencies uh, that want to actually do this on behalf of multiple clients, it's £189 a month. So we kept it, you know, subscription-based, uh, affordable, all of those sorts of things. And also, we internally, we have a department that can build scorecards for uh, companies. And we actually have some agency partners who can build scorecards. So if you're a big company that wants someone else to do it, write it, produce it, all of those kind of things. We actually work with 5,100 companies uh, at the moment to help them to implement this um, uh, and we've got agencies that just do that for them. I think it's really interesting the way that um, companies are evolving in that service-based companies now are productizing um, their offering 
or having that as as an, an avenue and product-based companies are actually servitizing. Don't yeah. you find that that really interesting in the way that companies are developing their offering? Why I've do you think that, that, that well. is? Uh, well, the, there's three, there tends to be three offerings, which is do-it-yourself, uh, which tends to be a tool. Uh, and most people don't use a tool correctly all on, on their own. Um, so, you know, my guitars sitting behind me, unless I pick them up and play them, <laughs> they're a fabulous tool, but, uh, but someone's got to pick them up and play them. Um, and then there's uh, done for you. Uh, where someone comes along and says, we'll just do all this for you. And then there's done with you, which is the more productized service. Uh, and it seems to be that the market tends to like productized services. And the reason for that, I think, is because te technology has typically evolved to a point now where people are actually comfortable with a well-designed portal to do some things themselves or with a well-designed tool to do some things themselves but they want to know that if they need support, uh, then they can, you know, get support just on a few key issues or a few key things. So people who are down the tools end have kind of come up to the middle point and people who are down the, we just do everything for you and, but we're really expensive have realized actually we probably need to um, meet in the middle here as well. So the productized service is, is really taking off for that reason. It's a, it's a great midpoint pricing wise as well, where the customer's not overpaying for complete delivery uh, and they're not, un, they're not underpaying, but not getting a result. So what does the near future look like for Dent? Yeah, well, I mean, what's interesting is that when I launched Dent and launched the Key Person of Influence Accelerator, people thought this was a radical, big kind of cutting-edge step. And what's actually happened is that people now see it as an essential and they feel the pain of slipping behind if they're slipping behind on this. So what we're discovering is that, um, you know, we've become, because we've been doing it for 12 years, we've become a preferred supplier to some big corporates. Um, we've got really high quality people coming through. We've got a lot of, you know, medical professionals and um, you know, people from the professions, accounting, legal. Uh, we've got amazing award-winning architects and, uh, you know, all, all sorts of really phenomenal, amazing, talented people are now coming in and they're seeing the value of working with us on their um, on their personal brand. But the big difference has been, we, we used to have to sell this as a radical idea that you should be an early adopter for. And now people are just recognizing, I just need to do this. And I've heard you all, you guys are, are good at what you do. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's a different business, but it's nice. Yeah, excellent, excellent. So Daniel, if you want a desert island on your own, what would be the one thing you took with you? <laughs> well, I thought about this and hopefully it's a nice uh, island and hopefully uh, we do have a plane coming and pick us up eventually. But I thought if, uh, you know, I've got three young kids, uh, three-year-old, four-year-old and seven-year-old. So if my wife and I got a moment of just add the two of us on a beach with some scuba equipment or some snorkels or something like that, that would be a very, very nice weekend. Uh, just, just the two of us. So... <laughs> 
So I've, I've chosen my wife and I've chosen some uh, some scuba diving equipment, which would be well, fun. I think you might have to wear the scuba diving equipment because it's one thing. So you're going to have to have that on you with the tank <laughs> and everything. We're both just going to be sitting on the beach with these tanks on our backs. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and, and snorkels and, and things, trying to have a conversation. All right, maybe I haven't thought this through as... as as well as I could but, have. but think about it you've got an oxygen tank so you know you're going to be able to make fire you know because you've got fuel for that as well oh, is this a survival situation okay in this case i'm taking bear grills and uh, i'm taking uh, you know a, a a survival kit if if that's in my mind there was a seaplane coming at a scheduled time and we're going to get picked up at a later date so i can see you were going with this is my ideal holiday this is what i really want you know <laughs> it's a deserted island daniel i was projecting i was projecting onto the <laughs> scenario what i wanted to see <laughs> okay daniel how can listeners get hold of you uh, well, of course, connect on social media, LinkedIn or Instagram or uh, any of those places. Um, I've got books um, that are on Amazon and I've got a new book coming out called Scorecard Marketing to explain to people exactly how to get a successful scorecard campaign up and running. So keep an eye out for the new book, Scorecard Marketing. And um, uh, yeah, and actually, if you contact us through social media, I'll send you a link to to be able to uh, get a free copy, uh, an advanced review copy. So message me on Twitter or um, or on uh, LinkedIn and I'll sort that out. Excellent. Anything like that, I can put in the, the show notes as oh, well. perfect. So. Okay. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for being a guest on Scale Your Sales podcast, Daniel Priestley. Thank you, Janice. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Scale Your Sales podcast. If you like this discussion, feel free to listen to other episodes or watch the caption show on YouTube and subscribe to future episodes. I would really appreciate it if you would leave a positive review on iTunes. Thank you.